You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm your host, David Bloom. We, every episode, try to pick through the rubble of the collision, the shattering, world-changing collision of technology, entertainment, and media to try to find some nuggets of gold that we can unearth and uh, shop around the internet in this podcast and beyond. I had the opportunity to talk with a guy named Tor Steen. You've probably heard of sites like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, which raise funds from supporters for creative and technology projects, among others. Uh, Recently, I've written about things like Critical Role, the guys who do a weekly D&D game, put it on Twitch and on YouTube, and and now have raised $11.3 million to turn the uh, weekly live stream storyline of their D&D into an animated 10-part series. And a year ago, I wrote about a slightly different sector of the crowdfunding universe called Regulation A, under Regulation A. It's a SEC regulations that allow a small fry investor, what they like to call at the Securities and Exchange Commission non-accredited investors, which means that they have more protections in terms of disclosures and what they're allowed to invest in on the presumption that they have less money and therefore more to lose. But Reg A, as it's called, is used by some companies to actually sell equity in their companies now and on a crowd-funded basis or crowd-sourced basis. And it's a really interesting alternative. Last year, I wrote about how High Times, the media and events company behind the venerable cannabis-focused magazine, was using Reg A as part of its process to go public. So those are interesting new ways that companies are using crowdsourced funding of various kinds to make things happen. Torstein's company, CrowdStreet, is somewhat different. It actually taps into crowdfunding to allow accredited investors who make more than a certain amount of money or have a certain amount of assets, they're considered uh, higher level investors, gives them the opportunity to take part in the commercial real estate market. As Steen likes to point out, commercial real estate's the third largest asset class in America. Tends to be a very, very boys club, and I'm sure it's pretty much all boys of a certain sort, but it is not, not very open to folks of substantial, but perhaps not insider means. And with CrowdStreet, they hope to change some of that. So I sat down with Tor, to talk about how his six-year-old company is using an online process and crowdfunding to streamline and open up investing in commercial real estate. The segue from Kickstarter to CrowdStreet isn't an obvious one, but the opportunities are just as big, the beneficiaries just as unexpected. Give this a listen. I think you'll find it pretty interesting stuff. But first, let's have a word from our sponsor. back. Many thanks to our sponsor and to you guys for sticking around. And now my conversation with Tor Steen, the co-founder and CEO of CrowdStreet, a Portland-based company that uses crowdfunding to allow accredited 
investors to get a piece of various commercial real estate projects. Here we go. When did you start with uh, Crossfree? What was the uh, genesis of the project? Certainly. Yeah, nice to meet you, David. And uh, we started Crowdstreet in uh, 2013. Darren Powderly and myself are the two co-founders. We came together and uh, Darren comes out of commercial real estate. I come out of the internet and technology space and uh, we came together to, to build a great company. 2013, very early in that process of uh, crowdfunding stuff. Uh, at that point, my recollection is we'd only had the Jobs Act authorization in place for, I don't know, a year and a half at that point. We didn't have any of the SEC regulations that would have enabled actually doing things. So you guys were cooking along at a very early state, very early part of the process, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. The Jobs Act was very new and, and even some of the further legislation hadn't been formed yet, right? Uh, the concept was there, but but I think all the guidelines hadn't been completed yet. So we were, uh, we were definitely early to the game, but we saw the huge opportunity of opening up access and transparency to a industry, quite honestly, that's been very private and closed for many years. Yeah, so let's talk about that pain point. I mean, uh, the business schools will say, if you're going to start a company, you need to figure out, even if you're not starting a company, you're running a company, you need to figure out what the pain points are, the things that um, aren't being taken care of by the companies out there that are doing it or doing something like it at the time. So what were you fixing? Uh, what were the specific challenges that needed to get fixed? Yeah, um, it was actually uh, any marketplace because it is at the end of the day a marketplace that we're running. There's two sides to that marketplace and we needed to have uh, solutions and opportunities for both sides. So when you break that down um, for the investors, for the consumer side of that marketplace, what we were doing is providing access, transparency, and efficiency to invest directly into commercial real estate, um, something that they really had not had that access to. It's usually been very exclusive, right? You had in, in your local market, you had to know the commercial real estate developer or operator. Uh, you had to be invited, if you will, to participate in that, uh, that offering to be able to invest directly into whether it's a ground-up development opportunity or an acquisition of an existing asset. Again, very exclusive and limited access. Also, you know, it was done in an offline w manner, right? Um, you know, so it wasn't exactly the most efficient way to do it. Uh, a lot of paperwork, a lot of handshakes, a lot of meetings, uh, maybe a few rounds of golf, if you will. Um, but, you know, not a super efficient process. And then when you look at the other side of the marketplace, um, the commercial real estate developers and operators, what we call the sponsors, right? They're at the end of the one day, the, the ones that are um, doing the project. They're the stewards of the investor's capital. Um, you know, the, the way that they've done it for years, again, in that very kind of offline analog method was uh, with the local investors that they knew um, that were in their social circles or other circles. And, um, and that was fine. Um, but it was very limited in terms of the, the, the base of investors that they could uh, could work with. And over the years, those investors have been growing older, uh, maybe not investing as much capital. And so they were constantly looking at how do I grow my base of investors and how do I go beyond my geographic boundaries in my local market? Yeah, I mean, I would think that one issue is just, uh, I mean, you talk about access and ease of engagement and actually just hearing about stuff. 
but I would think that also just the, the scale, so many commercial projects are so much larger in terms of the scale of money involved. It can still be a, I don't know, a $2 million strip mall maybe, but there's plenty of, you know, nine figure projects out there. And, and, and if you're uh, good enough to be an accredited investor, but not that big, you're never going to get a chance to, to buy into that, right? I mean, this is designed to deal with some of those issues. Exactly. And and to play off of uh, your example there, David, let's say the project is, uh, a, you know, a $30 million project and the equity requirement for that project, assuming that, uh, you know, most of those projects obviously have debt on them, but but the equity portion could be, you know, anywhere between five and 12 to 15 million, depending on a 30 or 40, $50 million project. And so the conventional wisdom for those sponsors it would be to get, you know, a few investors that are you know, maybe more the ultra high net worth to drop the 500,000 to million dollar checks so that they could fill up that equity. And so to your point, um, maybe your average accredited investor that's not willing to, to drop, you know, that much capital on one project uh, would be excluded. And by bringing it online, um, by lowering the minimums down to $25,000 and in some cases 50, but normally $25,000, you've now opened up that ability for an accredited investor uh, to put 25 to 50,000 into projects and to sprinkle it around. Our average uh, investor that's on the CrowdStreet Marketplace, for example, they have 250,000 in their portfolio and their average investment size is right around 50,000. So they've invested kind of building their own little commercial real estate portfolio. So the portfolio play, I think, is really an interesting possibility here. I mean, you know, they always say, don't put your eggs in one basket. And this, it does allow you to take advantage of commercial real estate opportunities, A, that you never hear of, B, that were once far too big, but also to not just put it all into one project, you know, you put your whole egg, your whole nest egg, such as it may be, into a single project, but to grab that portfolio approach. Um, are there limits in terms of how many projects you could invest in as long as you get the 25000 minimum? No, there's uh, there's no limit at all. And actually, uh, we've got, uh, since CrowdStreet's been around, since we launched our marketplace in April of 2014, five years, we've done over 300 projects and thousands of investors across those projects. Um, we actually have many investors that have 20 or 30 investments on the CrowdStreet marketplace. So they are building a very significant portfolio, um, you know, and, and really the, the sky's the limit, if you will. Uh, it's really, you know, what is the right strategy for that investor? You know, some investors, uh, it's just kind of like in their stock portfolio. They might have some large cap value and some small cap growth. Um, and so each investor could be a little different in terms of how they're trying to weight their, their risk reward tolerance. Makes perfect sense to me. Now, give me an idea in terms of the, the project scale that we're talking about. You said over 300 projects have been financed, thousands of investors. Are most of them in that sort of 25 to 50, like kind of just putting the minimum in? So A, what are the investors putting in? And B, what are the sort of average sizes or the range of sizes of projects? Yeah, so the average investment size is right around $45,000 when you blend it all together. Um, what we have found is there is a, you know, a scenario where an investor might start at $25,000 on their very first project, right? Because you're doing this in an online medium. Uh, you're getting to know that sponsor through the webinar and other means. And so you know, $25,000 might be their starting ticket size, but we'll see. You know, The data shows us that an investor that starts to build their portfolio will go, graduate up to maybe fifty dollars and $100,000 checks sometimes, but the average kind of nets out to 45000 
Um, on the sponsor side, uh, you know, our average total capitalization of the project, the total value is right around $35 million. And so the, the average equity that CrowdStreet's marketplace for that type of project is, you know, anywhere from, you know, 3 million to 5 million. Uh, in some cases recently, we've been doing bigger equity raises in the, in the 10 to 14 million range as well. So how are you finding the projects if they've largely been sort of a closed loop, you know, I mean, how are you getting them? And, and, and it sounds like you're putting in a, you're a piece of the puzzle for somebody putting together a good sized project, but you're not the whole puzzle. You're, you're exactly right, David. Um, the, the average, the, the kind of standard sponsor on our marketplace to date, again, has traditionally raised that equity from their high net worth, ultra high net worth investors in their local market. Um, so they're not going to exclude them. However, what they're interested in is how do I, how do I create an expandable capital source? And so they might give us uh, just a sliver of that equity, right? Um, they might say, hey, on this project, uh, CrowdStreet, we'd like to try it out for the first time and, and maybe we'll carve out two or three million of our eight, eight to 10 million raise that we're doing. Um, over time, though, we've seen seen uh, them giving us bigger allocations as they've seen how efficient that that uh, capital fundraising can be through that online channel. So, I mean, that makes sense as you get success, you do, you do more. Is there a strategy? I mean, I, I've written a lot over the years about Kickstarter and Indiegogo, and you're effectively Kickstarter for big commercial real estate projects. Um, so you have a little more, probably a little more juice than that in terms of what your special sauce is. But effectively, you're that. And, and I know that they have strategies that are now very well developed because they've had so many people come in and do things about how they get people engaged in a project, get them aware of it long before they turn on the spigot. In this case, you're raising bigger chunks of money. Is it a, still a 45-day or 30-day raise and you've got to meet your number? or you don't get the whole thing or how how does how does that mechanic work and and then what are the strategies you'd use to optimize using crowdstream yeah um so the strategy is definitely um you know do the equity raise within 30 to 45 days. Um, but what's interesting is as the demand side of the marketplace, the investors have grown significantly over the last couple of years. We're actually seeing projects that are raising their equity in, in literally uh, days, if not hours. We just had a project uh, over a, a week ago that raised uh, $10 million in a little over an hour. So I think the, um, you know, to your point, the models are enhancing and growing very significantly and rapidly at the current time. So things that we did not envision happening uh, six months uh, to 12 months ago are now happening at a, at a quick pace. Um, and I think it's, again, it's um, investors as they become familiar with this opportunity. And a lot of what we do, David, as you can imagine, is, is the education side. So we have a lot of content around how to invest in commercial real estate, how to, how to look at the different asset types from senior housing to office, industrial, multifamily. So, you know, it's, again, it is a process, uh, again, opening up an, the third largest asset class in our country, commercial real estate, uh, to a broader audience of accredited investors. I don't recall if the federal rules require them to be U.S.-based investors, or can they come from other parts of the world? Well, they just they can come from other parts, but they do need to be a, a U.S. accredited investor according to the the SEC guidelines. So they could be a U.S. citizen overseas, um, but today, you know, we it's not an international or foreign investor that would go into these projects. 
on the other end of this, how do you all, I mean, we always hear about the various, you know, the FDIC for banks and the equivalent for securities and exchange stuff, securities, dealers, uh, insurance funds. These are accredited investors. They're supposed to be more educated about the markets and, and understand risk better than sort of the Joe Blow, local investor guy. What are the risks and exposures here? And is there insurance or does it? That's not how it works. Just tell me, tell me what mm-hmm. the risk management stuff is. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, there isn't the equivalent of an FDIC, uh, you know, insurance on on your deposit. Uh, and there's, um, you know, at the end of the day, this is still a private equity investment. It is an illiquid investment. Um, you know, it's the it's it has not changed to where uh, it is a liquid investment. And so investors, uh, you know, the credit investors recognize that. And many of them actually, again, they're looking to a longer term investment, whether it's uh, five years, uh, seven years, 10 years, where they like to have that uh, cash flow from the, the investment. And they also like to obviously have a gain uh, when it's either re- recapitalized or, or sold. Um, so they understand that going in. Um, I think there's some huge opportunities down the road uh, when we're looking at things like blockchain and other uh, new innovative ways where you can take a you know, maybe an illiquid asset and turn it into a more liquid investment. But uh, I think we're still a ways from that. Uh, those newer technologies and uh, around the securities industry are, are evolving rapidly, and we're uh, very close to that. But um, that will be a very big paradigm shift as well. Investors do understand that um, part of the, uh, investing in private equity, they do get uh, a nice uh, increase in the yield factor uh, on their capital versus maybe the public markets, which which has the, that liquidity built into the price. I mean, that is an interesting question about, you know, you're, pu- you're putting 25000 in here. It's not even like an annuity or something. I mean, it's going in there and it's staying in there. And you don't have as much control in extracting the money, but you do have the opportunity over time for typically what are, are nice gains. I mean, depends on the project, clearly. But that's one of the things people have to understand. This is not a liquid investment. It's not readily available. And they need to invest accordingly, correct? Correct. Yeah, the the, the legality or the, the documents are very uh, standard. Uh, you know, tr- traditionally it's an LLC and the investor is uh, signing a subscription agreement. Uh, they are becoming a li- an LP, a limited partner into that deal. Um, and so those, those, that process has not changed. Now we've automated it and streamlined it and, you know, put it all online, but, um, but that those boundaries are still there. Again, the importance of, uh, eyes open and awareness of the opportunity, but also awareness of the limitations of these kinds of deals. This is a long-term bet. Know what you're, know what you're getting into. No one gets a t-shirt out of this or a plush <laughs> toy, unlike in Kickstarter, right? No, exactly. But they do get a nice uh, return on their investment. And uh, to your point on that last uh, point, David, uh, you know, I think given the seriousness of obviously investing in these uh, private equity real estate transactions, um, CrowdStreet since day one has built a very comprehensive vetting and screening process. We've got an investments team that every sponsor and every project is going through a very diligent process. And that's one of the things investors have said is, uh, number one, they like the process and the people and the, the use of technology that we are doing uh, of screening those projects from the beginning to the end before they ever end up on the marketplace. So uh, there's a lot that ends up on the cut floor, if you will, um, before, you know, before it actually gets to the marketplace. 
marketplace. So what, what investors are seeing has gone through a very rigorous uh, vetting and screening process by CrowdStreet. This is not uh, this is not Craigslist. This is uh, this is really serious uh, serious things. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that's good to know. I mean, that obviously the person behind the project does their work and they have to do all that to meet you know, various rules and stuff like that. But you all do another layer of, I, I, I hesitate to use the word due diligence because I know that's often larded up with a lot of legal meaning, but you're doing a set of vetting that's significant. So talk briefly about what that vetting involves. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, it is a vetting. I uh, don't want to use the, that word due diligence. But yeah, the, the sponsors, when they come to us and when we get to know them, and, and we've got individuals representing CrowdStreet in, in major markets uh, who come from a commercial real estate background, and those individuals are managing directors in the field, are kind of the first eyes and ears to, to sit down and meet the sponsors in person at their offices. And again, these are sponsors who, again, they've traditionally raised money from local investors. So they're, they're professional in that, uh, you know, the packets and the information they put together as well as their track records. But that managing director will, um, will you know, first off, make sure that the first level of sponsors is, is a high caliber. However, uh, we have a very kind of uh, dividing line between those individuals as well and then internally our investment team. And our investments team uh, will take the in information about the sponsors, their track records, their backgrounds, their history of uh, working with investors, and they will look at all of that information. We'll, we'll do Thomson Reuters, uh, you know, kind of clear DD background checks. Um, and so that all, all that is put together in, in the form of an investment committee process uh, to vet those sponsors and their offerings. Um, so yeah, it's every deal that's gotten to the marketplace has probably gone through 100 plus hours uh, through that investment process. Guessing that some of you are not just the investor side, but the people doing the offering, you're, you're seeing multiples. Over six years, first of all, who have you seen people already cash out projects or do the refinance or some sort of liquidity event? Has that happened in this six-year period? It's been less than that because of the, the legislation and all that, but have you seen those? We have actually. We've um, yeah, we've been uh, we've seen uh, twelve realized offerings or round trips, if you will, right? Where um, where they went full cycle, uh, and across those offerings, we've seen a thirty one percent XIRR and a one point six X equity multiple. So uh, I always like to say these are early results, and uh, I think we should temper those a little bit um, because mo a lot of those deals were you know had a one to two to three year horizon. They might have been a ground up development that that was being sold after. After it uh, was fully built. Uh, some of them were obviously projects that might have had a five-year horizon, but were made an offer, uh, an acquisition offer early, um, an offer that, if you will, they couldn't refuse. So um, good early results. Um, we obviously monitor these uh, uh, every month. And um, we're actually, what we do monitor is uh, how much is being distributed to investors on a current cash basis uh, before a full realization. And to date, there's been over $60 million uh, of distributions made to the investors on CrowdStreet, uh, you know, and they've invested, we're, we're coming up on $600 million of invested dollars at this point. Are you guys facing much in the way, I mean, when when the whole Jobs Act came along, enabled crowdfunding and, and all the legislation, supporting legislation and all that over this long process, there was a big explosion of Kickstarter-like things. Like I think over at one point, I think there was more than a thousand. Are, are you guys facing competition directly in the space that you're in, or have you had this largely to yourselves? 
Yeah, I think there was a huge groundswell back in 2014 and 15, David, um, of a lot of players try, trying to, you know, uh, create business models to, you know, uh, look at that legislative change and, and adopt it. And I think what's, you know, like any new market and in innovation, uh, things, models will win out and some won't. And I think uh, fast forward to now 2019, um, there's a few players in the space now and the models have been kind of defined on, on one end of the spectrum. Uh, you have some players doing kind of a reg A offering, which is for non-accredited investors and making that available. Uh, those are, you know, players doing kind of E-REITs, if you will. And, uh, you know, that's that's fine that there is a market out there. Um, again, our market, I'd consider in that mid-market, those type of projects, as well as the type of accredited investors. Um, and I think our, our model is, uh, has won out nicely uh, in our space. Um, and I think we'll continue to evolve it. You know, one of the things we've done recently is add to the type of products that we're offering investors um, versus, you know, traditionally they've been investing directly into our deals, into the deals on the marketplace. We heard from many investors, they wanted CrowdStreet to provide a, an ability for them to diversify. So we've uh, created our own blended portfolio where investor can uh, invest in the blended portfolio and then on their behalf, uh, CrowdStreet pools that capital and invest uh, allocations into the deals. And so they get a diversification across 30 to 40 projects over a 12 month period. Uh, we've also created uh, privately managed accounts where we've created a subsidiary that is a registered investment advisor. Some investors that had significant capital invest wanted somebody providing advice to them and creating a custom portfolio. So we've now, uh, we've launched that practice as well. So now, now we're giving investors really three options of investing on the marketplace. They can do it themselves. Uh, they can use a blended portfolio approach, a fund type of approach, or they can actually have a custom portfolio built for them and a, and a kind of a wealth manager for commercial real estate. That's a smart diversification, but uh, makes sense in terms of trying to take care of that. But it's important, I think, as you say, of sort of mid-market. It is above some of the things that I've heard that were the non-accredited investors, the Reg A stuff and all that. And that's Regulation A for those folks out there that are not somehow aficionados of SEC regulations. So so you're, you're providing that portfolio, and, and that, I'm guessing, is a little bit more liquid. It's what I like. You invest, and it's in there across multiple properties over a year's time at a, at a you know it renews like a fund would do is that what i'm hearing yeah, it's still a you know non-registered uh, fund uh, structure. So um, you know the investors uh, that you know twenty-five, fifty, or a hundred thousand that they're putting into the blended portfolio. The beauty is that will get invested across thirty to forty projects that come to our marketplace in a twelve-month period. And so what that does is it again it diversifies them across uh, geo, across asset type, across sponsors and risk profile. Everything from a core plus building to a uh, more value add or opportunistic. And, and so that, that portfolio does pay out as those projects pay out. So you'll have some short-term cash. You'll have some realized gains that are happening, as I shared earlier, uh, in the short term. And you'll also have those investors will have some longer-term capital appreciation. And that's our show. Thanks so much to Tor for his time. I think it's a pretty interesting uh, alternative in this fast-growing area of financial technology and property technology. I was recently quoted in a book uh, on prop tech, as its aficionados like to call it, based on a story I wrote for Forbes about trying to weigh out the value of Netflix versus Disney and Comcast. 
The story came out a year ago and has been quite a hot commodity over the last year as people have tried to figure out how to value Disney with its Disney Plus and all that, uh, what Comcast is doing with its still millions and millions of subscribers and its various ventures and, and ownerships, and Netflix, which is basically just Netflix. I've had people argue that the data that Netflix controls is not always properly valued, but it's pretty well valued. It's got 150 million users and 150 billion dollars in valuation. I'd say that's a pretty good valuation on your on what is basically data and a decent library, a growing library of content that some of which Netflix owns and some of which it doesn't. But it certainly occupies some serious real estate of its own. And here, PropTech has taken off. PropTech is a fascinating place. I hope you found the interview with Tor of interest. If you're of the sort who's positioned to take advantage of it, it might be worth checking into and expanding your portfolio, if nothing else. It uh, shows some of the ingenious and innovative ways that people are taking advantage of that Jobs Act of several years ago and what it's enabling with the various regulations under Reg A and crowdfunding. Anyway, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening. Please, if you like the show, rate, review, and share it. It makes a big difference with the magic algorithm machines. If you really like the show, Anchor makes it easy for you to be a supporter of the show and throw in a few bucks to keep the creaky wheels uh, going and moving forward. Uh, Please do that. Anchor also has created a function as part of its distribution of this show across 10 platforms uh, that makes it easy for you to leave me a voicemail message. And I think that's pretty cool. It's only through, I mean, it comes back to me through Anchor, but it's it's a voice message that I can then turn into the show. Give me an idea, if you would, about what you think of using some of these uh, crowdfunding sources. Have you been an investor in things like Kickstarter and Indiegogo? Would you do something like a Reg A investment in uh, stock in a company like High Times? Would you, if you're at that level, consider using something like CrowdStreet or its competitor, Cadra, to invest in portfolios of real estate? Give me a holler. Uh, you can also reach me on Twitter at David Bloom, on uh, LinkedIn at David L. Bloom, and across the interwebs on at davidlbloom.com. I am so glad to have you as a listener and hope to keep bringing you cool stuff. This is David Bloom for Bloom and Tech. Over and out. <laughs> You've been listening to Bloom in Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone.